Hello, it's time for Raw Storytelling, a podcast where real people share unscripted and uncensored real stories. And I'm your host, Enid Nolasco. Hey everyone, welcome to 2019. It's a new year and a new year of raw storytelling. Beginning with this episode, we're trying something new. Each episode will open with a different song and the idea came from our live show flyers. So each month I changed the photo behind the logo to tie into what the show's theme is and I thought, why am I not doing this with the podcast? So the opening song for this episode is most likely a song you know and love, Age of Consent by Joy Division. And this song just had the right mood for this episode theme, which is Secrets. If you're brand new to the Raw Storytelling Podcast, all the stories you'll hear today were recorded at our live show, which happens every second Thursday of the month at Cafe Collective in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. If you're in the area, find show tickets and more information at rawstorytelling.org slash shows. This secret theme show occurred back in March 2018, and I've picked three stories from that night to share with you today. So let's get started with our first story, a lighthearted tale of things going a little wrong. So Harry Huffman has been telling stories all his life. Harry grew up in a Catholic orphanage, so whenever he got into trouble, which was most of the time, his outlandish stories kept him from being punished. In fact, those creative stories made him a legend for many years after he left. All great speakers use stories to entertain and get their message across. A good story reaches out and connects with the audience. Good stories create vivid images which hold the attention of the audience. And a good story, whether humorous or sad, or both sticks in the memory of the listener. So his story is um, Monseigneur Flambe. So let's give him a warm welcome, Harry Huffman. I hate funerals. In fact, I told my wife the only way she could have my funeral is over my dead body. <laughs> it isn't that I'm scared of death. It's just that funerals aren't lucky for me. Plus, the music is so sad, it makes you want to kill yourself. (laughs) I think I became warped by death back in the sixth grade, shortly after I became head altar boy for St. Patrick's Parish. Along with this honor went the dubious privilege of serving hundreds of funeral masses, especially for dead VIPs like the 102-year-old Monsignor Krieger, who recently had departed from St. Bonaventure's. As the number one altar boy, I was imported from St. Patrick's to serve at Monsignor Krieger's funeral. 
This was a heavy responsibility for a small 60-pound 11-year-old boy. I struggled with this large, six-foot, 250-pound silver cross in the funeral procession right behind Father Flanagan, who had turned the slow processional walk into an arm form. My arms began to shake, and I lost control of the cross. It hit Father Flanagan in the back of the head. I knew he must have seen stars. In fact, I'm sure he saw Jesus. <laughs> like the pro he was, it was procession one long. Once we got to the altar, it was my job to light the 150 million extra large candles around the funeral bier. This was a fancy affair. And I was stationed at the head of the casket, and my friend Bobby Martin was at the, at the foot. This was a really big funeral, and they closed all the Catholic schools for the day. The nuns and priests came from all over Ohio to pay their last respects to the ancient Monsignor Krieger. As everybody filed past the casket, they all said the same thing. My, 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 how good he looks. That's all anybody said. Not what a good person he was, but how good he looked. I thought, holy moly, if this is looking good, how bad did he look when he was alive? <laughs> I remember staring at him intently to see if I could catch him breathing. Special game I used to play with all the dead guys. Help pass the time. Besides, what if a terrible mistake had been made and he was just in a deep sleep about being, to be buried alive? Somehow I felt responsible because I was the one swinging the incense around his head, making everybody woozy and sick, including myself. Now I could have handled the woozy and sick part, but I hadn't been able to visit the boys' room because of that long bus trek from St. Patrick's. So there I was, standing, I began to sway and move from side to side. Father Flanagan was up in the pulpit delivering an eulogy. And if there's anything he did slower than walk, it was talk. I started to rock back and forth. When suddenly, just as Father Flanagan said the devil never got to Monsignor, I bumped into a candle. And whoa! Next thing I know, it was Monsignor Flambe. As the drapes of the funeral beer exploded into a ring of fire. It was like that Johnny Cash song. I fell into that burning ring of fire. And it burned, burned, burned. Wow! Monsignor was about to go up in smoke. The Catholics didn't believe in cremation. I was stunned and unable to move. Unbelievably, Father Flanagan continued with the eulogy. Oblivious to the gas that went up from the crowd or the fire and smoke licking up from the casket. The nuns were madly throwing behind him throwing holy water in the Monsignor, <laughs> slapping him with handkerchiefs and towels they found in the sacristy. Finally, they got the fire out. The drapes of the funeral were destroyed, and the Monsignor was a little bit on the charred side for a chimney sweep. Mass continued on as though nothing unusual had happened. Bobby Martin singed his hair in the fire. 
All the other older boys were avoiding me, not because of the fire, I think my cassock was a little damp. Had to be the holy water. The nuns did the worst thing they could do. Huffman, we will deal with you later. I envision a nun firing squad. So you can see why I hate funerals. I realize some people go through life unscathed, they don't break any bones, don't cause any accidents. They're probably going to heaven. I'm sure I'm going to hell. As I ponder the mysteries of life or of death, if you think about it, I did the Monsignor a big favor. I did send him out in a blaze of glory. Thank you very much. Harry is our oldest and most energetic storyteller. We've even seen him break out into dancing, like ballroom dancing, when sharing a story. He's awesome. From Harry, we'll move on to a more serious story. Ro Ferrelli is a courageous woman who bared her soul at our live show with her story titled Untold Secrets from the Row That You Don't Know. Rose, an intuitive medium and entrepreneur who is changing the game working directly with conscious corporations. You can find out more about Roe at roeforelli.com. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here tonight. My name is Roe Ferelli. Um, as Enid mentioned, I specialize in working with women. I'm a personal development coach. I have a lot of different projects going on, but I love working with women who are budding entrepreneurs, and I also do a lot of personal development and leadership work in the corporate environment. So that's what I do, a little bit about me. Um, I want to share a little bit about um, where I'm at right now in my life, just to add some perspective to the secrets <laughs> I'm going to be sharing with you. So, um, you know, to start, my husband, he's amazing. We've been together for 10 years. He is a homeless outreach officer for BSO. We have an amazing little girl. Her name is Taylor. She's seven, and she was just awarded the Wonderful Writer Award at Sawgrass Elementary. So very proud of her. Um, but have you ever uh, looked back on your life and kind of thought, holy shit, <laughs> how did I get here? How did I get here? Because you look back on some of the things that you went through, and it's just like mind-blowing, right? I, I know I have a few of those moments. Let me see your hands if that's you too, right? Okay, I'm not alone. <laughs> so I'm gonna be sharing with you guys two pretty juicy secrets. Um, I'll go ahead and just jump in. So when I was 14 years old, I became addicted to methamphetamines. I was in the eighth grade, and I was staying the night with a friend. Her mom had been abusing drugs for years, like we knew her mom was crazy. And um, her mom had offered it to both of us. And my friend did not do it, but I did. And 
What I didn't know was that that moment would cost me the next nine years of my life. You see, I was in a really dark place. You may think, you know, what could be so horrible at the age of 14, but um, probably some of the darkest moments of my life was around that age. My mom and my stepfather had gone through a very horrible divorce where um, literally we were driving a Porsche one day and the next day we were homeless, living out of trash bags. Um, Thank God for friends and family that provided us with shelter over the next several years while my mom uh, dug herself out of around $90,000 worth of debt. And, um, you know, I had met my real father, my biological father, right around that same time. And I'd always dreamed of this TV dad, and he was nothing like that. In fact, the very first conversation I had with him, he was making a pass at me. So at the age of 14, you know, you're going through all of these emotions and being a teenager and being a girl and um, going through all this trauma, I was just so desperate to feel good. I just wanted to feel good. And so anything that I could get my hands on, whether that was attention or in this case it was a substance, um, you know, it, it wrapped me up and I got sucked into it. And so years went by of just this cycle. And I think back a lot of my high school years, I really don't remember a lot of those days. You know, some of those days are like the best times of of girls' lives, you know, going to prom and going to dances and being involved with school activities. I, I don't really remember much of it um, because the drugs robbed me of that. I remember, I remember being around 19 and I was at a party. I had uh, my roommate at the time, Kylie, was dating Sean, a very good friend of mine, and you know his parents had a lot of money, and um, he would throw the biggest and best parties, so everybody was there. And I remember um, walking in on the bathroom of Kylie and Sean, and they weren't doing what you think that they were doing. <laughs> but I walked in on the bathroom of them, and they were using needles. And I was shocked, because we all knew, like, needles, like, that's the worst. That's, like, junky, right? So I'm shocked. I'm like, what are you, what, you know, like, what's going on? And I'm listening to them, and they're justifying, like, why the needles are okay, like, why they're safe. Like, I'm listening to them, and they're kind of, like, talking me into doing it, right? So... I'm thinking, okay, hold on just a second. I'll be right back. Like something was like, I needed to go grab something or whatever. I was like, I'm going to come back. And I was honestly contemplating it. But I left that bathroom and for a very split second, something, my soul spoke to me. And it said, if you do this, If you do this, there will be no turning back for you. 
I know it was my soul because it wasn't judgmental and it wasn't telling me yes or no. It was just a matter of fact statement. And it was just saying, if you do this, it will completely change the course and direction of your life forever and there will be no turning back. And so I did not use the needles in that moment, which I'm very grateful for. Um, very sad. Uh, Sean actually died a couple years after that of a drug overdose. And Kylie went to federal prison for a little over two and a half years. Um, actually got pregnant right before she went in and then had a baby in prison and it was just this horrible mess. So yeah, I got out of that. <laughs> and um, you know, my fate actually has turned into something beautiful and amazing. So that is secret number one. <laughs> now, um, secret number two. Okay, this is a juicy one. <laughs> Very embarrassing too, so uh, bear with me. Okay, so I was 21 and I was living in Kansas City, that's where I'm from, and I, you know, I can be very stubborn, and I had walked out of a job. I got pissed off about my boss about something. I was being very arrogant, and I walked out. And a couple of months went on, and I couldn't get another job. And I'm starting to freak out because, you know, I don't have family to say, hey, can you front me, you know, whatever my rent's going to cost or whatever. Like, that wasn't an option. So I'm putting bills on credit cards. I'm literally maxing everything out. I have $130 on a credit card left. And I'm like desperate. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to like move in with my grandparents. Like I didn't even know what I was gonna do. So my friend Christy is like, you should come to work with me. You will make so much money. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I really wanna do that. You see, um, Christy was a dancer at a gentleman's club. And I had cocktail waitress in a club before, but I just never had the guts to do that, to dance. So I'm thinking, okay, push is coming to shove. I'm gonna have to make a decision. Okay, fuck it, I'm just, I'm gonna go. And, um, you know, it was an hour drive in another state, like nobody's gonna know me, nobody's gonna see me, and I remember getting there and just wanting to numb out, not wanting to be there. And I just started doing shots after shots after shots, just totally intoxicating myself so I couldn't feel anything. Well, the, the, the manager says, okay, you, you have to go on stage if you want to come back. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to come back at least two times to get caught up. <laughs> so, all right, let's do this. And I go around to the dressing room. <laughs> and right before I was about to get on stage, I just started freaking out, kind of like right now, because I didn't want to do it. And I don't believe any of those women want to be there. And it was just the worst feeling. I was so disappointed in myself that it had come to this. And I honestly felt 
that I had no option. I, I mean, looking back now, I'm like the most optimistic person in the world now. And looking back, just to think that that girl thought she had no other choice. But something beautiful really happened in that moment, something so unexpected. And all of these women in this dressing room huddled around me like I had never seen before. They all came together half naked, <laughs> one pasty on, one pasty off. <laughs> they all huddled around me and just gave me so much love, so much unconditional love. Nobody was judging me. I had one girl, I remember one girl standing right here and she's like, you know what, you can walk away from this. You do not have to do this. Nobody's gonna judge you for saying no. Like, they're calling you on stage right now, but if you don't want to do this, you do not have to do this. And then I have another girl, it was literally like angel devil moment. I had another girl, she was like, no, if you want to do this, you can do this. You are strong, you can do this. I know you can do this. We've all been in your shoes, you can do this. And I'm thinking, I don't have an option. I'm gonna do it. So I get on stage have no skills, none at all. And they're like, well, just use, there's like this spinner thing, right? You can like hang on to the spinner, you'll do a couple twirls, you know? And I'm thinking, okay, that's my plan. So I go to the little spinner thing, but <laughs> my feet get wrapped around each other and I end up tripping and falling face first on stage, really busy moment too. It was so fucking embarrassing. <laughs> like seriously, the most embarrassing moment of my life, right there, falling on stage, trying to look sexy, trying to be in this like place that I did not wanna be in and put up this act and then falling flat on my face. And again, another beautiful moment happened, surprisingly. Um, all of these amazing women, happy International Women's Day, uh, came together and um, just started like throwing money on the stage. And that was how I made any money that night. I remember leaving, my friend Christy made like 800 something dollars and I left with exactly $112, which is what I spent to get there in the first place. So I made the exact amount of money um, that I had invested in my shoes. So yeah, I, I just, I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I knew that that was not for me, but I had the ovaries big enough to try it. So yeah. Um, that is my second <laughs> most embarrassing real secret, and, um, and yeah, so I made it out alive. You know, it's really interesting because I ended up um, moving to Florida. I found myself um, really craving a move, and when I moved here, you know, I had said a prayer and I just asked like the universe, like I don't know what is going on with my life. My grandma always says, God has a plan for your life. And I'm thinking if this is, if you have a plan, like I don't know what it is, but lay it on me. 
And it was just amazing, like, it was just amazing. Pretty much my addiction starved because I didn't have any friends or connections here um, or the money to spend on anything like that. And I just ended up meeting like amazing people who weren't into those things and my life just started transforming. I started healing, doing a lot of inner work, therapy, um, spiritual healing, you name it. And um, you know, it's amazing. My life is truly a miracle that now I help women, <laughs> which is crazy thinking of all those things that I went through. But, um, but yeah, so those are my secrets and my story. My name's Ro Ferrelli. Thank you. I want to do a two, a two raw to share. <laughs> uh, okay. One time I was coming from my girlfriend's house and stopped to put gas. As I'm pumping, just doing my thing, I look over and a guy has his shorts to his ankles, pumping, doing his thing. <laughs> the secret is I wanted to join him. <laughs> Which is pretty wild. Uh, I want to be there and watch. <laughs> Our next and last storyteller is Chris Cruz. I'm going to read the bio she sent because it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's really cool. It says, For 20 years, Chris has spent her days disguised as a professional academic. Really, she's a seeker, a rebel, an activist, a writer, and a motivational speaker whose mission is to help heal the planet back to truth, freedom, power, love, and oneness. Chris believes we go through what we go through to help others go through what we've been through and then if we can all just be the change, we can change the world. And her story is Return to the Land of the Living. The story begins with the end of my 14 year long marriage. And it was an emotionally abusive marriage, but emotional abuse is really hard to pin down. And so as I sat in my marriage every day for 14 years and would explain to my husband that, you know, while a lot of couples say they knew it was over when, when they became roommates, I would tell my husband I was a piece of furniture. I would say, I'm the ottoman that you put your feet on at night while you watch TV. And so because emotional abuse is really hard to nail down, I stayed. I would leave, but I would go back and I would stay and leave, go back. And then on the day that it became verbally abusive is the day that I knew it was time to go. And so I left, and like when so many people leave, you don't even want human contact, nonetheless a relationship, for a really long time after it's over. So it took me about a year to decide that I might want to have conversations with somebody besides my two four-year-olds. Much as I love them, can only talk about Elmo on Sesame Street so long. So I go to my single friends, because you lose all your married friends when you leave your marriage, so I have these new single friends. And I reach out to them and I say, so you know what, Scoop? Busy, working, professional, single mom, what, what's a girl do? And they say, well, there's this 
thing called online dating. I'm like, hold up, what? <laughs> I haven't been single for 15 years. This did not exist. They start to explain it to me, they show it to me. I had only just learned how to text. I was like, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. So I put up a profile and it takes me five months to meet somebody that I'm even interested in having intelligent conversation with because there's not a whole lot of that going on in online dating. So I decide that I want to meet uh, someone, that I want laughter, that I want intelligent conversation, but it took five months to find somebody that, that could even bring that to the table. So I get a message online dating on this particular day and it's very attractive man who's asking me, inviting me to a book club. I'm like, well, okay, you read my profile. This is good, this is good, I love books. And I said, well, so tell me about your book club. And he said, well, you would get to pick the book. I'm like, here we go. And he said, it could be fiction, it could be a fairy tale, it could be romance, if you wanted it to be. Okay. He said, I can just tell you it's gonna be one of those books that you're not gonna wanna put down. It's gonna be a book that you're gonna think about when you're not reading it. And I suspect it'll be one of those books that'll be a great companion to snuggle up with on a long winter's night. All right, well now my brain is engaged. I already liked his pictures, he was attractive. My brain's engaged, he's the polar opposite of, of my Cuban ex-husband. He's a ginger, red-headed, blue-eyed, Irish Catholic guy from New Jersey. But the big secret is he was half my age. Last time I was single, a younger man meant he was two or three younger, years younger than me. This guy is half my age. And I struggled with that. And initially I was like, well, this is fun. You know, I mean, let's be realistic here. This is fun. And um, the reality is I am gonna end up watching you grow up on Facebook. There's only one way for this to end, right? So every step of the way, I would say, you know, go out there and meet a lovely woman who is age appropriate that you can make beautiful babies with. And he would say, baby, you don't understand. I don't want to be with someone else. I, I want to be with you. And I struggled with that, and I struggled with it for months. And although I never introduced him to my children from the perspective of him being someone I was with, we were driving in the car with my children on our way to, to drop them at their dad's. And my four-year-old son was sleeping and we hear a gurgling noise and he projectile vomits all over the back seat of my five-day-old five car, all over his sister, all over himself, all over his Christmas presents. And this young man, half my age, jumps out of the car, grabs the bag of wipes and cleans up my four-year-old's vomit. Yes, right? In that moment, I, I bought in. I fell head over heels in love with the young man half my age. I went insane. I decided I could marry him and, and have his babies and oh, I, I bought into that fairy tale book club <laughs> in a big way. Uh, and just um, as my energy shifted, his energy shifted as well. And the thrill of the chase at that point was over. Needless to say, it didn't end well. Um, and so, as Enid said, the title of my story is Returning to the Land of the Living. And so as I thought about the story over and over again to figure out at what point did I actually do that, I spent about another year after the breakup with him playing on the playground in Cougarville because that was a really fun place to hang out. Um, and after about a year, I thought, there's nothing real here. 
There's no actual connection here. It took me that long after the end of my marriage to want something real. So the timing was actually good. It was perfect. And it sent me to a therapist's couch. Thank you for setting that off on the right foot, by the way, Ro. Sent me to a therapist's couch just to say, why did I spend 14 years in this emotionally abusive marriage? Why did I spend a year and a half on the playground? <laughs> um, why was there no connection in that? And the reality was that there was no connection inside of me. So that was a huge piece of the puzzle that I had to come to terms with. And what I came to terms with and, and what I had to face was being sexually violated at the age of three. And, and how that set the tone for the next 40 years. And what does that look like? And how do we use that to then fuel the beautiful fire and move forward? So I had the opportunity to use that, just as Rose said. We go through what we go through to help others go through what we've been through. So I started writing about my experience. I became a member of the National Speakers Bureau for RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. But there was a bigger picture there. And, and as I pondered what I was going to say here tonight, I had a little panic attack. <laughs> and so last night, I was curled up in my bed with fear, all snuggled up, trying to figure out what to do with that. Writing, you need an email, the hell with this shit, I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but I'm not coming. Just about to hit send. But the realization that that is the absolute best gift on the planet. When I have the opportunity to look at the fear and to look at the disconnect and to find out what would happen if I unwrapped that gift and what beautiful, beautiful opportunities are waiting for me inside. And so last night I unwrapped that gift instead of clicking send. <laughs> and inside that box was the return to the land of the living, was the opportunity to say, when do you show up? When do you show up in complete vulnerability, totally real, totally raw, and say, I'm scared, but I'm gonna do it anyway? to say that I'm going to connect with those pieces of myself that I hung out to dry for so long. And I'm gonna step into a room with other people who are probably feeling the same thing in my experience, who've been there, done that. And to face that opportunity and for us to look at one another in our disconnect and in our fear and say, well, our plots are probably really similar here. Maybe our storylines are a little different. So as I reflected on the one sentence I sent Enid in the title of my story, what does that look like? And I feel like being here and just stepping out of my comfort zone and saying, I'm going to show up. It's gonna scare the hell out of me. Thank God Roe went first but I'm gonna do it. And then allowing other people to embrace what's inside of them as well. Because I don't feel like we have these social problems on this planet. I don't think that we have a gun violence problem on this planet. 
And even as a survivor, I don't think we have a sexual violence problem on this planet. I don't think we have a homeless problem. I don't think we have a hunger problem. I think that we have 7.4 billion versions of a pain problem on this planet. And when all of us go inside of ourselves, when all of us lay down and snuggle up and make sweet love to fear, that's when we'll all be free. That's when we can all come together. That's when we can all step forward and start to lift one another and start to rise together. So I do truly believe that our stories are a little bit different, but that the plot is very, very much the same. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to totally and completely step out of my comfort zone tonight. Thank you for um, allowing me to just move into the fear and take off the beautiful bow from the gift and look deeply at what's inside. I hope you've loved this month's episode as much as I have loved it. Our next episode will be released on February 16th. And meanwhile, tell a friend, subscribe, rate, rate and review us. Sign up for our live shows. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Raw Storytelling. And check out our beautiful website, rawstorytelling.org, where you can listen to more featured stories, find storytelling tips, and donate. We are a community-driven project, and we will do great things with your money. Believe me. Huge thank you to DJ A Lot of Words, who recorded the live audio for this episode, Fabiel Lozada, who's our podcast editor, and Cafe Collective, who is our host venue. The music you heard in this episode is by Anthony Videro, who can be found at Tune Your Soul on Instagram, Joy Division, and other varied artists featured in our live show recordings. Until next time, I'm Enid Nolasco. Stay raw. Thank you.